Hello and welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Professor Burgess and Bussy, we are here to unpack a, another topic. Now, this is what we like about the podcast, and we were just talking with our guest, Ken Harrison. You know, we have the big show that we do every every week, but the podcast allows us to, even if we've had guests on the big show, to get in a long-form conversation. Now, Ken did come on the, the big show when, uh, when Promise Keepers, it was announced that it was returning. Uh, he's the chairman and CEO of the, of the relaunch of Promise Keepers. Uh, and, of course, he has uh, his resume, we, we've told you before, but you may be hearing this for the first time. Uh, he started his career as an LAPD street cop over there in, in Watts Compton area. You know, it's a very calm area. Yep. Uh, and, of course, he got commendations and, and awards there, and he talks about the, that a little bit in his new book. Uh, he also uh, serves as CEO of Waterstone. This is a Christian community foundation. Now, I want you to hear this number. I told Speedy he couldn't believe it. They give away over $1 million per week uh, to, to build God's kingdom. Uh, and, uh, of course, Ken's uh, plan, as he told us on the big show, was to retire uh, after uh, some of the business um, ventures he had uh, had taken on, he had sold those to other people. Uh, but uh, God said, uh, "I don't, I don't have a concept of retirement in the Holy Word of God." So, Ken, you may not be doing the same thing that you you did, but you're not going to knock it out of gear and go hiking all the time. So, uh, so that uh, that was kind of a, a nutshell of Ken's story, uh, and he joins us today because he has written, uh, and and I would highly suggest this book. It's called A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. So welcome to Rick and Bubba University, Ken Harrison. Ken, how you doing? You know, we're going to talk about serious stuff, but I have a hard time being serious with you, too. <laughs> I, I just look at you guys and I start laughing. Well, you know, a lot of people say that, Ken. Uh, we get that from more than one. Ken, I know we won't talk about this book, but I, I've got to ask you about Waterstone. How, how do you guys do this? Yeah, and so actually, um, those numbers are old. We're up to two and a half million dollars. Oh, my week. goodness. Yeah. And what we do is we help people who are wealthy and have a bunch of complicated assets turn those assets into giving to causes. And so you know, we have one client in, in New York who's not even a Christian, but he, sold, he he helps missionaries in Africa. He gives away about $20 million a year. He has all these complicated assets. We have a bunch of attorneys and people who come alongside him and help maximize his tax breaks and then maximize how much he can give to build a kingdom. Wow. wow. That's impressive. Well, but, but you, you know, you just thought about that. You saw something that needed to be done. Here's all this wealth. Uh, why not let's talk to these people about how they can use it uh, to actually invest in the advancement of the kingdom. And as you said, even a non-believer but, but looks at what these missionaries are doing, and I guess even he could see that this is something of value. Well, and even more, I mean, I know that's not the subject of this, but it's actually pretty cool. We just had this occur. Um, number one, we'll have people who want to give to a Christian cause that it's not really a Christian cause, for instance, the Southern Poverty Law Institute. Right. We had somebody want to give them a million dollars because some nice young man came and told them that how it helps poor black people. And we said, no, what it helps do is kill nice poor black people's babies in the womb. That's what they do. Right. Oh, so we advised them. The other thing we do is we had a guy who's divorced, had a 12-year-old son going in for surgery, and he had $14 million in an IRA. The surgery was dangerous. If he died in the surgery, federal law said that his 12-year-old son had to get 10% of that, $1.4 million per year, for 10 years and then it'd be over. So can you imagine if someone had given you a million and a half bucks a year from 12 to 22, how would you have done? Uh, well, probably a lot then of cars. He moves, exactly. He moves the money into Waterstone, into a trust. And instead 
that kid will get 5% a year, $700,000 for the rest of his life. That's what we do. Well, well, that is needed. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Bubba, because I, I I saw the numbers. Of course, they're now double what what, what your old bio has. But but I want to jump into the latest thing because we did talk to you on the big show about promise keepers, and there's a lot you can learn about that. And, and we're glad that that it, it, we've worked with you guys, and, you, and promise keepers is back. But I really want to land today mainly uh, on this book. Um, you know, we I, I was sent a copy of it, and uh, and and you and you and I had been talking about this, a daring faith in a cowardly world, and reading this, Ken, and uh, and we'll let you kind of, you know, you, you start out talking about your story, uh, how you have been a Christian, uh, you know, s- since you were very young, but in 1997, and, and Bubba, you uh, being a late guy, he was actually hit by a wave runner. Wow. Uh, while he was on uh, a jet ski, and the injury was much worse than even the first uh, uh, people assessed, and you knew it was bad, and it ended up being really bad. And and I'm going to read some your own words uh, at the very beginning of the book when you face this life and death situation. Christian life had been duty without passion, resisting sin without the hatred of sin performing works without love. I was not overcome with gratitude that Jesus was crucified because of my sin. Therefore, I didn't cry out to him daily, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was a nice Christian, and nice Christians don't get rewards in heaven because they don't win battles. They don't win battles because they aren't even fighting. And I will tell you that I have that underlined, and I have read that over and over again, um, and that really kind of launches what this book is all about. Mm. You know, um, identity um, is is really a thing that we have to understand in the church. And we in the church tend to identify ourselves by our sin instead of by the fact that we are saved and we are, have the potential to sit on the throne with Jesus someday, which it says in, in Revelation chapter 3. So at that time, I was an L.A. cop had been in many shootings, as you guys know, high-speed pursuits, all that violent stuff, but it was all adrenaline. When I got hit by a jet ski and ended up in an emergency room and the doctor walked in and said, look, man, you've ruptured your liver. If it's less than 40%, we're gonna life flight you out of here, cut it out, it'll grow back. If it's more than 40%, you have five hours to live. Mm. Have a nice day. I mean, kind of like how he, he gave it. No. And I'm like, hey, how, how will I die? He goes, what do you mean you want to have a liver? I said, yeah, but what kills me? He said, well, your body will poison itself to death. So I laid there on that gurney for an hour before I got my results back, wondering what was going to happen and wondering in five hours, I may see Jesus face to face. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? You know, Leonard Ravenhill says, or he used to say, um, is the life you're living worth Christ dying for? And I realized my life wasn't worth Christ dying for. And it wasn't that I wasn't a bad guy. I was a typical American Christian. I went to church. I went to Bible study. um, I didn't cheat on my wife. I was a good guy. And what good would that make? Who Whose life was saved because of me? What starving person got food because of me? What naked person was clothed because of me? Nobody. And I thought at 30 years old, I will never be in that situation again. When I'm on a plane and it's going down and people are screaming, I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to see you in 10 seconds and I can't wait to get my crowns. That's how I'm going to live my life. Wow, and and you unpack that in great detail throughout this very challenging book because I, I will I will just tell you this I mean I, I'm in different circles now than than I once was 
even uh, in my Christian life. And and when you when I read those words to you of you laying on that gurney, I can say this, and I don't mean any disrespect, but I think one of the reasons, and I'm and I'm responsible for my own actions. Let me be very clear. But I think one of the main reasons I, I walked away from the faith with my life without without ever announcing I really had, but I certainly had by the way I lived my life. I, I left the church, didn't return for 13 years, all, of course always claiming I was a Christian the entire time, uh, and, and lived a life the really serving myself and nothing else. One of the things that I recalled is once I be, became a Christian, or thought I was one at least, a cultural Christian, when I was a kid, that most of the people I was around at church and that claimed to be Christians, it just didn't seem to mean a lot to them. They, they, they almost had the attitude, which I had, so this is on me, hey, I think I've re- done enough that I've been redeemed by Jesus. It says that I'm, I'm, I'm saved by his grace through my faith alone, which is true, by the way. I have been redeemed, not going to hell, so now just back to uh, you know living a life of seeing how many cool things I can do here on earth until I'm dead uh, or, uh, or he comes to get me. And I guess on that day, everything will be okay. Uh, but, but I did not see this being the center of their life. I didn't see any passion to advance his kingdom. I really didn't see much difference in them and me and people who were lost other than the fact that we went to church some uh, and, and, and we said we were saved because we think we've done enough that Jesus redeemed us. And, and you take on things that are in Scripture that that honestly, most of my life, I never heard discussed. I I got uh, I was with a theologian, a well-known theologian. You guys would know his name. He said I got your book and I hated it, and I wanted to disagree with it. And I started to go into it and make notes so that I could argue with you. And he said, by the time I got done with it, I realized everything in there is scripture. You don't offer a single opinion. He goes, it completely transformed my belief system because now I can't stop seeing judgment seat of Christ and rewards all throughout the Bible. That's a pretty high compliment from a you know what a PhD theologian is is telling you that you've changed his entire worldview, right? So but, let's uh, yeah. Can, can I ask you this too? Because I, I I'd like for you to lay out a little bit because I, I think you're you're hitting on something really important. As Christians, we want to get to heaven. We want to meet Jesus. What are those judgments we're going to go through look like biblically? Can can you just kind of lay that out? What your you, what you just talked about a minute ago, but break it out just a little bit more for maybe people who are not as up mm-hmm. to speed on what that will look like. Yeah, so so hang on. Let's come back and do that because this is kind of the crust of the book and probably the thing that got you, the theologian that said, hey, well, wait a minute, uh, and we'll talk about that when we come back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. All right, so we're talking with Ken Harrison. He's written the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. And, and, and this book is going to, to rattle you a little bit, which is why I love it. Uh, it. It is going to ask the question, because here's the part, Bubba, to your question you asked going to the break, and, and it'll launch you, Ken, on your response. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and not from yourselves. It is a gift not from work so that no one can boast. And we always stop right there. Right. We never read verse 10. And, and verse 10 says, yeah, and then when you have been redeemed, we, for we are his creation created in Christ Jesus, there's the redemption, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. What? Works. 
and 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 that part, verse ten, gets eradicated just about every time uh, we our, our redemption is discussed. Yes, yeah, so you did a brilliant job of just setting up the answer to the question, which is we were saved by grace, so we're saved. <clears throat> but now we were saved for good works, and God prepared a plan for each one of us at the very beginning of time to accomplish. And we're going to be judged based on how we accomplish that plan. So to Bubba's question, there's two judgment seats. Those who are not saved will go to the great white throne. You don't want to be there. But that's only for the unsaved. And they will be judged by books that have recorded everything in their life. And the extent of their judgment will be um, how bad their punishment will be for eternity. Those who have believed in Christ, and all it takes is belief. There's nothing else that it takes to be saved, will be at the Bema seat. The Bema seat was the name of the, the seat in, in Corinth where the, the judge would congratulate and reward the victor in a race. So the, the, the victor would come up and the judge would extol upon that victor rewards. And, and it would be all kinds of rewards, lifetime forgiveness of taxes, and, and he would get a crown and all this sort of thing. And that's the idea we're given in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded based on how we did. How are we supposed to live this life? Paul says, run like a, a, an athlete doing all he can to win the prize. He says, fight like a soldier doing everything we can to win victory. He says, work like a worker approved, doing all you can to please the recruiter. That's how we're supposed to live our Christian life. And that's on what that's what we'll be judged on. And, Ken, Ken, I think, too, I, I just, you know, in dealing with people in different denominations and, and different twists on things, it's it's very easy, I think, for people when they read this to, to get confused with the works and the grace. And you, you see that in our denominations to, to a large extent that there's a lot of people trying to work their way to salvation, which is not biblical. And you also see living under grace, a lot of, of us, and, and I've been guilty of this, where we, we get under grace and we, we cling to the grace umbrella and we kind of forget about the works. Well, this was what Rick was saying. One of the reasons I wrote the book is so foundational to my life. But as I took over Promise Keepers and I see men leaving the church, well, why are they leaving the church? Because they see a lack of justice. Because the basic idea that we teach, maybe it's not overt, but it's what we get is you're a really bad person, but Jesus loves you anyway. And that's the gospel. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good gospel. And it's not the real gospel. That he does love you anyway, and he saved you for a reason, and he's keeping score. Because men don't really want to play in a game where we're not keeping score. Well, guess what? He is keeping score. It says in Revelation that if we overcome in this world, we will sit on the throne with him. Only those who overcome. It says if Jesus said, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. If. We always forget the if in these, in these promises that God gave us. We're, we're promised five different crowns that we go into in the book, and specific ways we can earn those crowns. And I do hear some pious Christians say, oh, well, you know, I don't need all those crowns. I, I, it's good enough for me just to get to heaven. Well, it wasn't good enough for Paul. Right. Paul said, I strive with everything in me to earn the crown of righteousness, but I haven't yet attained it. Oh, okay. Then in 2 Timothy, as he's getting ready to be put to death, Paul says, now I know I've earned the crown of righteousness and not just me, but all who love his appearing. Why does he know? Because he's about to be put to death. And he says, I've run the race and I've won. Jesus says in Revelation chapter one, don't let anybody steal your crowns. So if it's really important to Jesus and really important to Paul that we get crowns, I think it better be important to me. Well, and, and you see, and I remember the first time I read, so we will stand before the Bema seat, and Scripture says, 
and he will give and take away based on what you did in the flesh, based on what you did while you were living on earth. This is talking about Jesus, and I think the thing that was a big wake-up for me, Ken, and your book really drives us home, is I think too many times we read Scripture and we think all this Scripture is addressing the lost when the overwhelming amount of Scripture is written to the church and is written to those already redeemed. Amen. So if if Jesus gave the entire salvation message in John 3, 16, which he did, if you believe you're saved, then what are all the rest of the words about? What's he going on and on about? He's going on and on about how to be holy. So we have the Sermon on the Mount, which I go into in three chapters in there. It's Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus takes his disciples and he gets away from the crowds. So he's not talking to everybody. He's just talking to the 12. And he's saying, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to have all the power and the joy and the peace that comes from serving me, here's the recipe, not how to be saved, but how to be powerful. And he starts off with blessed are the poor in spirit. So the, the road to holiness is being, the start is being poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means understanding that I offer nothing to Jesus Christ except for the sin that nailed him to the cross. When I get that, now I can start to go down that road. I, blessed are those who mourn, because once I get that, now I start to mourn the state of the world, to mourn that there's not more I can do to save it. Blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he gets all the way to the end. And what's at the end of holiness? How do you know you become holy? Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice. Great is your reward in heaven. So congratulations. You're holy. Everyone's going to hate you. But I'm going to reward you for that. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think especially with men, and but this book, well, this book is for anybody. This this is not a men's book. Uh, it, it certainly comes from that angle because of the the stuff that that Ken and, and we get involved in in men's ministry. But every single person needs to read this book, and I would say probably more so if you're uh, you're redeemed and you're wondering, you know, what 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 now. Uh, because it, it doesn't and how do I how do I take on the world that Jesus says now hates me to Ken's point and when you were going through the Sermon on the Mount and I think some of these things we have to get right is he said blessed are the 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 peacemakers and peacekeepers you said hey be sure you're you're noticing these are two different words here uh, we we read that sometimes that that means that we should never be in conflict whatsoever if we truly want to be right with Jesus, and that's not what he's saying. When you when you make peace, sometimes that means uh, you you are going to refuse to compromise God because to be right with God is the one who's those that are truly at peace. Well, I knew you'd like that part. Uh, yeah, I was, I was all over that. <laughs> College linebacker was like, "Ooh, baby." <laughs> But, but I we think it's important. Yeah, it's important. We need to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And right now the church pre- preaches being a peacekeeper. That What's is a peacekeeper? Right. I, I, a peacekeeper I, is like what we see the left doing all the time. Yeah. Right? Oh, I, I know I said left and I got your attention. No, but, no. What you're saying is the church says right now don't make trouble. Right. That's all. Can't we all just get along? Can't we just love everybody? Well, yeah, you know who I love somebody is I tell them about Christ. And if their sin is going to send them to the lake of fire— I'm going to, in humility and grace, tell them about that because I love them. The person who says, oh, well, we're not going to mention your sin because I don't want any conflict. That person hates them. That's not the person who has love. That's a person who lives in fear and is a coward. And so we talk about blessed are the peace makers because Isaiah 117 says, plead the widow's cause, correct the oppressor. You, you go around correcting oppressors, you're going to get in confrontation and yeah, conflict. Oppressors are not big on being corrected. <laughs> 
They they often fight that concept tooth and nail. Uh, Ken, let, let me ask you too. Let's let's break this down. You were talking about the five crowns. Give us the rundown of that. All right, let's, all right, let's break them. And, and what they look like yeah, when we come back. They're in the book, too, and you're going to love that. Yeah. He literally takes every crown and takes Scripture, not his opinion. He takes Scripture and says, this is what this crown is, this is what this crown is, and we will break that down as well when we come back, when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. Now, you know, he said, Ken said he said some things that kind of fired us up. I think that, that, that we're going to fire him up when we're talking about Tommy John underwear. Rick, I love Tommy John underwear. Yeah, I, I just ordered some more this week. I know you, you were actually asking, "Hey, what's our code?" Yeah, what is our code? What's I our forgot code? what our code was. I, I want to go order some. I'm wearing a pair right now, TMI, but I'm but I'm wearing a pair right now, and you know why? Because it's designed just just like we're talking about all the time, and they do have stuff for women. Yeah, but when it gets yeah. into men's underwear, men and women are equal, but they are not same. And, and well, our, we're thankful of that. Yeah, and uh, no matter how confused the world may be, right. we're made a certain way, and we need underwear that comes that, that wears the way we're made. And and they have some designs for the way men are made that will keep you much cooler during this wretched heat. Uh, and the, it has four times the stretch of the competing brands, which is what you and I both love. And, and Rick, you know, being comfortable starts with your underwear. Thank it, you. it doesn't matter what kind of right. outfit or suit or shorts mm, uh-uh. or whatever. If you don't feel good at the underwear level, no. you, you're just you're just wasting time. Yeah, and we love them, and you're going to love them because they're breathable, they're lightweight fabric, uh, and you know they don't roll up on you. Uh, you know, and, and they it, let you move, Rick. Oh, the, and, you know, if you have right cat now, light reflex. That's right, right now. So uh, you need to. Here's the deal: if you don't agree with us, they're free. That's, Boom. that's the Tommy John's best pair you ever wear. They're free. So why are you waiting on um, moving on this? Let's go to TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba right now. I had to tell Bubba that yesterday. TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. We'll get you 20% off the first order. 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. Boom. Ken Harrison's our guest. Uh, Bubba, you asked the question. In the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, available wherever you get books, Ken Harrison is uh, the author. Uh, the crowns—they—they they are specific. They are mentioned in Scripture, and the and, and Scripture tells us and, exactly what these are. And Ken's kind of laid this out. We we talk about getting to heaven. Heaven is a place you want to get to. Well, there's two judgments in heaven, right? For those who don't believe, and then for those who do believe. And there is going to be a reward process. Yep. And crowns handed out, and that's how it's described. Ken, tell us. Break down the crown process for us and what that really looks like as far as the way we operate here on Earth. I will. And, and I do I do want to say, and you didn't ask me to say this, but all my underwear are Tommy John. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually really, really relieved, Bubba, to know that you're wearing men's underwear. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, when you said you were wearing, clarified you were wearing men's underwear, I was, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> well, no so, confusion here, Ken. <laughs> um, the first one is a crown of life, and you can read about that in James one twelve and Revelation two ten. You can tell I'm, I'm reading from my book here. Yeah, well, we and want this, you to be factually correct. This is specifically for those who have endured hardships to the end, and it's really helpful for us to know. Sometimes we ask, "Why is God putting me through suffering?" Um, I've got a really good friend, Ross Mason, who was a, a world class triathlete, and he was in an accident, and broke his neck. Uh, woke up a paraplegic, still is to this day, 13 years later. And he said, Ken, I almost missed it. I almost missed life, my calling in life. Now Ross is the most prophetic prayer I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. When I want to pray, I pray for Ross. I tell him he's not allowed to say grace because it takes him an hour to, to pray. 
It's it's a conversation that's unbelievable. He went through great suffering and he, is, he will tell you he's filled with joy over being paralyzed because he would have missed the crowns. Mm. He would have been too busy to ever meet God. So we see that God will reward us for suffering and standing strong. Then we have the crown of righteousness. Righteousness. That's the one I referenced earlier, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. These are different crowns with different rewards. Then we have the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. This is for um, those who take leadership, like Rick is leading men's ministry. Why would Rick risk a stricter judgment, it says in James, to lead men? Because there's a crown for those who disciple people who are elders in the church and who stand strong and preach the truth without reservation. They have the crown of glory. Then we have the crown of rejoicing. This is where people will meet us at the judgment seat that we've affected. People we did or didn't know we've affected their life. They'll be there to, to glory in us and be our friends in heaven. Jesus says, use your money to make friends in heaven. This is what he's talking about. And the last is the crown of mastery. First uh, Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. That's the people who have run with skill. So the crown of mastery is like to the the, the team that won the national championship. That, that would be the George Bulldogs. Um they, you know, who gave all and who actually came out on top. This is the one that the, the person who ran that race to win and had great victory. So those are your five crowns specifically mentioned in the Bible. Ken, I want to ask you a question that gets kind of, now this is where the book gets a, a little dicey for some. We understand what happens to the lost. We, we got that. And sometimes looking at scripture, Rick Burgess included, uh, uh, you know, as I was being sanctified and understanding, there are moments when Jesus is talking about a place of darkness and gnashing of teeth that he's not talking about the final hell for the lost. He is addressing those that decide to be grace abusers and show up at the Bema seat with no rewards and, and, and worthy of no crowns. Uh, in all these parables that we hear him talking about, about servants working for masters and the master coming back, saying, hey, what happened? Show me what's been going on since I've been gone. All these different parables many times are presented as the redeemed and the lost, when really most of them are about those that are doing what he said to do that are redeemed and the redeemed that aren't. Correct or not? That is right. Um, all these parables, except for the one about the sheep and the goats, are about a Christian with a choice. The most definitive that launches all into those. You anybody can read Matthew chapter twenty-four. The disciples come to Jesus and say, "Tell us about the end times." Right. So he tells them about the end times, and then he gets to the end, and he says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a slave whose master goes away on a long journey." Okay, that's us. Where if you're saved, you're a slave of Jesus. Right. That slave can either be found working when his master returns, and he will be rewarded according to his work, just like we talked about in the book over and over again. There it is again. You're found working, you'll be rewarded, or if that slave says in his heart, my masters have gone away on a long journey. I don't know when he'll be home. So that slave starts to eat and drink with drunkards and beat his fellow slaves. I tell you the truth. When that master returns, that slave will be cut into pieces, thrown into the outer darkness with the hypocrites with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we have one person with a choice. He's either working or he's doing the other. We, we know he's a Christian because you're, you're, you're not waiting for Jesus to return if you're not a Christian. What is eating and drinking with drunkards? That's living the good life. It's just doing whatever you feel like and you don't care about anybody else. What's beating your fellow slaves? You would beat a fellow slave back in those days to get him to do your work. So you're not about your father's business. You're letting other people do it. You're going to church and letting other people serve and you're being lazy. What's cut into pieces? 
the word the, the Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is like a sort sharp two-edged sword cutting what bones and marrow, soul and spirit. Jesus says in Revelation on several occasions, I will come and fight against them with the sword that's in my mouth. It's the word of God. What is the outer darkness? And that's what we go into quite in some detail. It is being thrown out of the wedding feast of the Lamb, which we see over and over again. There will be a great wedding feast of the bride of Christ. Only those who are overcomers who have lived for him will be in that wedding feast. Jesus goes on with many parables in Matthew 25 about that being thrown out of the wedding feast into the outer darkness where weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is presented as hell. It is not. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, weeping of sorrow, gnashing of teeth is always anger. It's anger at yourself for your wasted life. Yeah, and you talk about Ge Gehenna a lot of times is equated as hell, but really what Gehenna was is the place people were, their bodies were burned because they weren't really worthy of the honor of a proper burial. And again, it's going back to, yeah, you're one of us, but you're not, you're not going to be in a position of honor of those who have actually been about his business. And to Bubba's concern earlier, I think we just have to do a better job, and your book does, uh, you know, and it's all based on Scripture because we don't really care what your opinion is about it. What does the Bible say about it? Is that we have, in my opinion, this is just, and that's all it is, but I think it can be confirmed by the problem we're seeing with the church, you know, where every single church I've ever served in or I ever talked to doing the, 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 the men's discipleship strategy, every one of them says the same thing. 20% of this congregation do all the work. 80% just come and take. Now, some of those in the 80 I know are lost people, but some of them are just redeemed people that don't do anything. And, uh, and, and you hear this everywhere we go, but I think in, our, in a much-needed reformation, back to your concern, Bubba, that we had a, 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 a church that was preaching works-based redemption, and we needed a reformation, and that's a good thing that that was reformed. But I think in our effort, because we're human beings and we mess up because we still got flesh, we were so focused on correctly removing legalism from the church that we've right. removed obedience with it. Boy, that's well said. Um, the Reformation, we got too far down that road, and it, and it was right. It was a right road. By grace only are you saved. But if you read what I wrote, you'll find that when you go back and read Augustine or Aquinas, they actually constantly talked about rewards and being judgment at the, at the judgment seat. It was always accepted in the church up until the Reformation. And then we sort of beat it out of the church because we were so into solo fide, faith alone. Solo fide is correct. It is faith alone. But after you've been saved, what you do greatly matters. And I think that is the thing that really resonates with men. What is my identity? What's the score? What why does it matter? I mean, I used to say all the time, you know, um, if you just had to say a prayer and you're in the club and we all go to the same place and that's it. Well, Paul was sure stupid. I mean, why was he running around being shipwrecked and stoned and hungry and cold? And why would Mother Teresa go and work with all those lepers? I mean, those idiots, all they had to do was say a little prayer and then live the, the rest of their lives for themselves. But then we see that that's not what Scripture says, that, yeah, you're saved. But our eternity will be vastly different. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is Paul going on about the fact that every person's resurrection will be different in glory. Paul says that just like the, the, the things in heaven differ in their light and their glory, so will the resurrection of each, each person be. And that ties into Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the chapter on faith, where the writer of Hebrews says that people refuse to be released from their torture so they would have a better resurrection. Well, think about that for a minute. People kept 
being tortured. They would not relent on their faith because they wanted to have the best resurrection they could. They, they, that, that was dependent on them enduring their suffering, not for the sake of suffering, but the, for the sake of standing strong in a cowardly world. We'll come back and we'll finish up uh, this podcast, the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World by Ken Harrison. When Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. Bubba, when you've got even Greg on the show going to earbuds, you win. I mean, uh, yeah, is, you're is talking there, about a hard sale. Is there a bigger skeptic on, on our uh, team? No, not on anything you bring up. Well, he's in. Uh, Raycon Everyday Earbuds, they look and they feel and they sound better than ever. Optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These earbuds are so comfortable, uh, and uh, look, they will not budge. Trust me, if you're moving around, you're working out, you're you're working out, whatever it may be, uh, they fit and they stay and they stay comfortably. Uh, eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life, and here comes the winner. This one got speedy in at half the price of the other premium audio brands. It's no wonder. Raycon's Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews, uh, and we absolutely love them, and we want you to get yours now. Buyraycon.com slash Pod. You get 15% off. That's another 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash Pod. Buyraycon.com slash Pod. Ken Harrison, our guest, uh, we've, we've got about five more, uh, ten more minutes uh, with Ken. So, Ken, answer this question, uh, and you do. So if someone, in, in, according to Scripture, and everything we're talking about is in Scripture, uh, what, what, what should someone expect that says, well, you know, if someone is redeemed, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just barely be in than not be in at all, and that is true. But does Scripture kind of give us some idea? You, you use the wedding feast uh, as, as uh, the best analogy that we see in Scripture about that. W- what is this life for those that are redeemed uh, but, uh, but have done nothing uh, that they were told to do by the one they claim is now their Lord? Yeah, well, we've, we've talked around that a bit. Um, that, that parable of the three slaves that you mentioned earlier is a great one. We talked about the end of Matthew 24, then in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about three slaves and two of them, you know, they worked and they they got a profit based on what they were given. The third one didn't do anything. He basically, he didn't want to take any risks. So he just went and, and buried everything. And then when, when his master came back and said, well, how'd you do? He said, well, I, I buried everything. And then the master says, you wicked, lazy slave. And that's that slave blames the master. Well, it's, it's actually your fault. You, you asked for too much and I didn't want to take any risk and I didn't want to make you mad. So here you go. What we, what we see going into that, and this will be very helpful for people, because I think I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone listening to this right now going, well, I'm not, you know, an ex-college linebacker with a huge radio show like Rick Burgess, and I'm not an ex-LA cop that, that's written books and runs Promise Keepers like Ken Harrison. So what can I do? Number one, remember that Ephesians 2.10 says that we have a, a calling that was laid down at the foundation of time, and God has gifted us according to our calling. So you don't have to have some huge platform or be a huge person. Maybe your calling is to raise really godly kids. Maybe your calling is to get involved with a school board and ask them, what are they teaching to my children? Maybe it's to have a good company and treat your employees really well. There, there's a lot of callings that you can have, and you'll be judged how you how you carried out your calling, not Rick Burgess's calling. The other thing I would say to tie into what we were just talking about is Hebrews chapter 11 we brought up. It's the hall of faith. When you see these people, God says, be like those people. Okay, well, what are those people like? 
And when you look at this list in Hebrews chapter 11, they're the most screwed up, jacked up people you've <laughs> ever seen on one chapter, right? right? We've got Rahab the prostitute in there. We've got Japheth who comes back from a victory and is so happy that God helped him win that he kills his daughter to make God happy. I mean, we have some screwed up people in that chapter. So why are we supposed to be like them? Because God says those things, those people have two things in common. The first one is they were really screwed up and they repented. And the next thing is none of them, none of them ever backed down from a fight. Every one of them were people who walked in daring courage. That is what God values. And the reason to circle all the way back to what you're saying, Rick, that we have a problem, especially as men in the church, is that we've been taught that the most godly is the most pious. That if you have no life at all, that makes you the godliest person. If you if you don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date the girls that do. You know, if you don't like sex, you don't like to laugh. If you're just a sourpuss who sits there, that's the good Christian. And that is not what scripture says. In fact, what we see in scripture is God loves passionate people who are running around, who love life. Look at King David. Look at Moses. Man, that, that was a bad dude, Moses. People forget that when he fled, fled Pharaoh, he shows up at the uh, the well and the girls are drawing it and there's some land pirates bugging him. He goes and kicks all their butts. I mean, God loves people who love life and are about life and screw up, but then repent, but they keep going because there are hurting people who are counting on the people of God to stand up in this evil world. And too many of us are sitting down and shutting up because we're afraid of what somebody might say, say about us on social media. Yeah, I mean, when you look at that Hall of Famer faith, and, and I've had a chance to, to teach it, and I try to tell the guys this, you know, two of them, I used two, there, there's more there, and you mentioned them. You know, Noah was not considered a great man of faith because he believed that God told him to build this thing. He was a great man of faith because he actually took 120 years and did it. Abraham wasn't in there because he believed God told him to go. He was in there because he went. I mean, this faith that we're talking about and you keep talking about, this isn't about earning it. This is a faith of action because of it. And I think if we told men that more, I think we would see them more devoted. Maybe we'd see women more devoted. But I think if men were told from the very beginning that Jesus is calling you to a call that says that you are dead, you are new in him, and he is in charge now, and you do what he said, and most of us in this room aren't man enough to do it, I think I think it I think we'd have to bar the doors. You know, you know, till you you brought up the the ark and Noah. It, obviously, God could have spoke an ark into existence right. and saved a lot of headache along the way. But I I think it was the walk that Noah needed to go through to get there that was the key. And I think a lot of times, and we are, I think we're uh, you you know we we focus on the final outcome where really the the growth and the fellowship that God wants with us is in the walk getting there because He doesn't need us. No, He doesn't. He allows us to be part right. of the process, right. which you know again is is very uh, confusing to us humans. We you know you're like, well, why do you want to do that? But because we can certainly mess it up. But it but it's really about the fellowship, isn't it, Ken? God works through people. That's how he created the universe is to work through people. Why, why do we need to pray? I mean, James says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's this mm. whole prayer movement of everybody pray, everybody pray. Well, no, no, not everybody pray, actually. Because it, who, who, does it, who avails much prayer of a righteous man? When you are absent of, of known sin, when you're repentant and you pray, God moves mountains. If you're looking at pornography, if you're gossiping, gossiping about people, if you're screaming at your kids, but then you go do your little holy prayer time, God says in Isaiah, I close my ears so I don't have to hear your prayers. Your righteous festivals, your, your religious festivals make me sick, he says. 
In Revelation chapter three, he says to a lukewarm Christian, you make me want to puke. So we, we need to be righteous, repentant of our sin, falling on our face before the Lord, because he says, when you do that, when a righteous man prays, you will alter history because I've chosen the way I've created the universe to work through my people who are about my business and who are in, on their knees in prayer. So that's, that's this whole thing about let us be holy. Let us go after that Sermon on the Mount because we can change history. So many Christians live their lives in fear. They live their lives in doubt. They wonder what God's will is. We're told we can know God's will in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. If we're transformed by scripture and not conformed to the world, it says we can then know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want to know God's will? Stop conforming to the world and be transformed by scripture. Then he'll talk to you and you can know his word. And Ken, I think we, you know, we think back in in the biblical time, well, if we'd have just seen this or we'd have been there, we'd have a different feel about it. But, you know, we've been talking a lot on the show lately. We live in a very, very special time, especially in science, and that's an area I have a real passion and love for. You know, with the Hubble Space Telescope, now with this James Webb Space Telescope, we're seeing just how vast the universe and God's creation is, and it's just mind-boggling how much stuff is out there and how far away it is and how big the Creator, our God, is who put it up there, and it just blows me away. Isn't it amazing? Do you know, I mean, did you ever think we would live in a time when Roe versus Wade had been overturned? No, no, no way. No way. Right? You know that the Darwinism is being completely dismantled right now. Stephen Myers, um, they talk about the fact that the scientists all know Darwinism is not true, but they don't know what else to place their, their stuff on. Right. Did you ever think that when we were in school and you were arguing with your biology teacher going, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Actually, it's been proven that it is the stupidest thing that you ever heard. They, they've got massive problems. And one of the things they're finding out right now is that that ravens and crows are vastly smarter than monkeys. If monkeys aren't the smartest animal, then all of evolution is destroyed. And, right. and they're, they're seeing that now, that ravens are vastly smarter than monkeys. And it goes on and on and on. We live in an amazing time. And so not to, not to make this all negative, we live in this perfect great time that God has brought us together in. And he says, boy, if you'll stand with me, I will reward you in amazing ways. If you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. I will give you these great crowns. We have this great privilege. And the what's evil is also being so clearly drawn up. It's, it's like our friend John Stone Street says that what was unthinkable 10 years ago is unquestionable today. We really have a chance now to see who really loves Jesus or who is standing with those people who are telling a 10-year-old prepubescent girl, hey, maybe you're a boy, take these drugs, have this surgery, completely destroy your life forever. You need your parents' permission to get pierced ears, but let's let's completely change your body. That is evil at the highest level. Yeah. And we have a chance to stand up against that in the love and grace of Jesus and understand that most people are so deceived. They just need us to be bold. So people come to me all the time and say, but I'm, I'm afraid. And I say, what are you afraid of? What, really? I mean, they were burning people at the stake back in the day. Now they just tell you some mean thing on Twitter. Who cares? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't right now. Nobody's going to throw us to the lions, are they? Uh, they might. They might not have anything to do with this anymore. Ken, thank you for the time that yeah. you've given us today. Um, I, I, I just, I think this, very insightful. And I love what you said. I think we, as followers of Christ, I love that the middle ground is going away. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable to see how dark it is. But at least that that middle ground that I know in the when I was young, I grew up in. 
even in the Bible Belt, is gone away. You see who's with him, and you see who's against him. And and I think this is a call for all of us to answer the call that he's called us to, is to be bold in our faith, because if he is with us, who can stand against us? And us living otherwise is disrespectful to him. A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World by Ken Harrison. Ken, thanks for being with us, and thanks to all of you for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.